Thank you very much for coming to listen to God's Word at the end of this holy day. I believe the sun is close to setting or has already set, but whether it has set or not, the sun never sets on our personal holiness. Are you with me? It sets on the day. It does not set on our holiness as children of God. So even though the sun has set, make sure that whatever plans we have made for tonight are plans that represent a holy life. I just thought I should say that. I know you've had a long day, and so I want to be merciful in that regard without necessarily stifling the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, before I begin, I, should, I want to ask a question I should have asked earlier today and also last night. Is there anyone present with us who is not a Seventh-day Adventist? May I see your hand? You are not a Seventh-day Adventist. You have honored us with your presence. May I see your hand? Just move it, raise it, stand up, wave. No one? All right. I like to acknowledge those who visit among us who are not of our faith. Did you have a good lunch? Did you have enough? Good. You look so. Please don't go to sleep. Uh, the Lord has sent a message for you, and I want you alert and awake. Our subject for this evening is no strings attached. What did I say? No strings attached. Before I begin, uh, please turn off your cell phones. I believe some of you have already gone ahead of me, anticipated my request, and you've turned your phones off. God bless you for being proactive. Those of you a little slow, would you please catch up now and turn off your expensive phones. Favor number two, while I'm speaking, pray for me. And all I want you to say is, Lord, put your words in that man's mouth. And favor number three, please think as you listen to the Word of God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Holy Father, as an act of mercy, grant me your spirit that the words I speak may be your words directly from your throne. I ask today, God, to grant me your spirit that he may possess all of me, that he may speak through me for your glory and for the blessing of your people. Dear Father, enlighten every listening heart, I pray. And at the end of this message, let us say that we have seen you a little more clearly. We have been drawn to you, dear God. Hear this humble prayer. Use me, I pray, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. No strings attached. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Psalm 50 verses 10 to 12. What is God trying to tell us? I told you on Friday evening that I would present a special people for such a time as this and a special message, but the Spirit of God has led me in a different direction. And so this message, No Strings Attached, has as a sort of a subtitle, 
an attitude for such a time as this. The world is mine, says God, and the fullness thereof. All the heavens are mine, and the earth is mine, says God. In Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. What does God mean? What are we to learn from this statement? Let's go to Genesis 2 and find the root of this teaching that we just read in Psalm 50, 10 to 12. Genesis 2, let us read verses 16 and 17. And let's reason together and see what the Holy Ghost will reveal to us. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, the Bible says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayst freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. What gave God the right to tell Adam, you may eat of those trees, do not eat of this one. For God to say that, Adam had to have been given not ownership of the world, but managerial responsibility. Let me say that again. If the world had belonged to Adam, God would have had no right to tell Adam what tree he could eat from and what tree he could avoid. Are you with me? Let me say it again by going to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And the Lord said, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have what? Dominion, not ownership. And so because God always retained ownership of the heavens and the earth, God was within his right to say to Adam, eat of these trees, leave this one alone, because in reality, all the trees are mine. Understand me very clearly. You and I own nothing except our sins, and even those God wants. Now, you may say, why am I saying that? Because of the nature of the organization, ASI, and because last night, this morning, this evening, there was a parade of people who have various ministries, and God bless the ministries. We have to be careful that we do not begin to think that God owes us anything. Regardless of the ministry we have, regardless of how it flourishes, we need to understand that God owes us nothing. God is not obligated to us in any way. No one can say to God, you owe me this, 
or you owe me that. That is impossible. In Genesis 14, this is the chapter in which four armies come from the other side of the Euphrates River, and it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, Kedoleomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, and Shinam, king of Admir, and Shamiba, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the Vale of Sidim, which is a salt sea. The Bible tells us that four armies came from the other side of the Euphrates, attacked Sodom, Gomorrah, Admir, Zeboim, and Bela. Lot lived in Sodom, and Lot was captured. Abraham heard the news. Abraham goes in pursuit of these men with his trained servants. He catches up, destroys them, brings back according to verse 16, and he brought again his, his brother Lot and all his goods, the women also, and the people. He brought back everything. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, brought forth bread and wine. Verse 19, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. God owns everything. And blessed be the Most High God, which have given thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, or Abram, in Genesis 14, 21, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. God owns heaven and God owns the earth. Now, I have to drum that into our heads with great politeness but firmness. Because it is easy for the carnal nature to view God as indebted to us. You see, even though we are converted and we're led by the Spirit, the carnal nature is not dead. Its, supervise, it's, uh, its supremacy is dead. Its role as uh, the, the, the ruler of our lives, that is dead. But it is not dead in itself. It is still alive. And so we must always be conscious. When you study the Bible, you must be conscious that there is a power trying to pervert the interpretation of Scripture. And so the carnal nature would have you and me think that God owes us something. My brothers and sisters, with all possible respect, let me say again, God owes you nothing. God is not indebted to you or to me. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, reading verse 14, as David prays before all there, the materials he has accumulated, the gold, the silver, the wood, the precious stones, all that he brought together for the construction of the temple, the privilege which was left to Solomon. David prayed in verse 14 of 1 Chronicles 29, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. There is nothing that you and I can give to God that God did not first give to us and then told us in love, give it back to me. Our health, 
our intellectual capacity, our reputations, if they are wholesome, our skills, our homes, our cars, every single breath we breathe legally belongs to God. Now, if that doesn't humble you, I don't know what will. Because the carnal nature thrives on the concept of possession. This is mine. Possessiveness is an expression of selfishness. This is mine. This is mine. Listen to Satan. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the size of the pit, says God. There are no strings attached when it comes to whether or not God owes us anything. He owes us nothing. But there's another side to that coin, which should bring a smile to your sad-looking faces as you struggle with the concept that God owes you nothing. The same God who owes us nothing wants to give us everything. Well, God bless you. I didn't have to ask for it. <laughs> I shall leave this place satisfied. <laughs> didn't have to beg. Let me say it again. See if lightning can strike twice. <laughs> the same God who owes us how much? Nothing desires with all his heart to give us what? Everything. And the people said? Ah, shouldn't that make you fall in love with God? God wants to give us everything. Now, this statement that I make is uh, condensed in John 3.16, which says, as you read it with me, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, his only begotten son. Now, God, if he had had six or seven begotten sons, it would not have been remarkable if he gave one. If someone came to me, my neighbor, and he said, uh, uh, friend, you know, I, I, uh, can you give me a shirt? don't have any shirts. If I had only one shirt, <laughs> I'd probably say, oh, sorry, you're out of luck because I am not about to give you the only shirt I have. But God gave the only begotten son he had. Listen to the words. He did not loan Christ. He gave Christ. And this is dramatically demonstrated by the fact that even as we worship God now and we worship the Son, Christ is still bound in human flesh. Glorified human flesh, but human flesh nonetheless. He has given Christ to us. The God who owes us nothing has given us everything. Ephesians 1, reading from verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead 
and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and gave him the, to be the head over all things to the church, hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. What that means is the entire universe is at God's disposal to be used as necessary for the blessing of the church. All right, I probably didn't say that clearly enough. You have broken a habit you began, and I want you to keep it up. Let me say it again. It's my fault. I repent. Listen carefully. And have put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. What I am saying is this. All the resources of the universe are at God's disposal to be used as necessary for the blessing of the church. The central focus of the universe is the church. The eyes of the universe are on the church of this world where God's church is located. And this God who owes us nothing desires to give us everything. In Ellen G. White, 1888 Materials, page 569, paragraph 1, Ellen White writes, In one great gift, he poured out for us all the treasures of heaven. Thank you, sister. God bless you. In one great gift, name that gift, Jesus Christ. God poured out all the treasures of heaven, all. Now, why was that the case when God gave Christ? Listen to Colossians chapter 1, reading from verse 16. For by him were all things created. Who is him? Jesus Christ. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him. What are the next few words? And for him. The universe belongs to Christ. All, thank you again, sister. All things were created by him and for him. And so Jesus said in John 16, how be it, reading from verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Jesus says, everything the Father has, finish it for me, is his. If that is the case, when God gave Christ, God gave everything that was Christ's. 
Praise the Lord, sister. God gave everything. A God who owes us nothing gave everything. But this brings another concept to mind. In dealing with sin, God had to give everything. He could not have dealt with sin by giving some. Ah, you missed that one. Uh, you're not fighting with me, so you missed it. Let me say it again. It is so serious and sacred and solemn. But let me say it differently. Sin was such a mighty problem, it took all the resources of an infinite God. Now, the word infinite means without limit, beyond measurement. And yet, Ellen White writes in Education, page 76, paragraph 3, Christ came to our world with the accumulated love of an eternity. Ah, you didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. Do you know what the accumulated love of an eternity is? How do you accumulate everything in an eternity when eternity has no end? Somehow, God had to do that to answer the problem of sin. Christ came to our world with the accumulated love of an eternity. Mm -hmm. Everything he had to deal with sin. Now, can you explain to me how a God like that can be indebted to us? Do you not see that it is the reverse that should operate? We are indebted to God. And we ought to be reminded of that every day. When you, I was talking to a friend of mine, Sister Magna, and I told her in the winter, I live in Michigan. Anyone from Michigan? I'm the only one from Michigan. Okay, a lonely Wolverine. Ah, God bless you, a handsome man. All Michigan men are handsome. And, uh, and from Georgia as well. <laughs> I told her in the, in the winter when I'm shoveling snow, I shovel snow and I pray. People die of heart attacks every year around United States shoveling snow. And so the way I shovel snow, I said, Lord, I thank you that at my age, I can shovel snow. That's literally how I shovel snow. Because if I didn't say that, I'd say something else. <laughs> Are you with me? Huh? I'd probably say something. Shoveling snow, for those of you who live in Georgia, God bless you, and Florida and Alabama and the middle of the Caribbean Ocean. See, you don't understand what it means to shovel snow, particularly wet snow. And so I pray and I thank God. When I'm going through an airport with my luggage, I say, Father, thank you, I'm fit enough to carry this luggage. If I didn't say that, I may say something else. And so I'm saying to you, we must thank God. We must acknowledge our indebtedness in all that we do at all times. Let me draw your attention to something. Ella White writes in Child Guidance, page 45, paragraph 3, the whole natural world is designed to be an interpreter of the things of God. How much of the natural world? The whole natural world. She says in page 46, paragraph 3, same book. In the natural world, God has placed in the hands of the children of men the key to unlock the treasure house of his word. The, 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 scene is the unseen is illustrated by the scene. Divine wisdom, eternal truth, 
infinite grace are understood by the things that God has made. Never ignore a tree or a bird or ants. The Bible says, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Now, with this in mind, that's why Christ could tell parables. He used the physical to teach spiritual lessons because when God made the world, he deliberately built into the physical world spiritual lessons. Are you following me? Listen to the words of Ellen White, very deliberately chosen words. In the whole natural world is designed. So it was deliberate and purposeful and intentional. God put spiritual lessons in the natural world. Let me give an example as we continue with no strings attached. What is needed on this earth for life? The very basics. Water, air, what else? Sunlight. All right. One of the most basic chemical processes is photosynthesis. Am I right? For you scientists. You need sunlight for that. No sunlight, nothing grows. No food, we die. The sun represents life. Here's a spiritual lesson God has placed in the physical world or the physical universe. The Bible says in Genesis 1.14, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. Now, the light sources for the earth are the sun, the moon, and the stars. Am I right? Yes. Where is the sun? Well, let me make it easy for you. Is the sun on the earth? Is the moon on the earth? Are the stars on the earth? Where is the sun? Where is the moon? Where are the stars? So all the sources of light or life necessary for the world are not found on the world. Where do we have to look? Above. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? God has built the world and the universe in such a way that every day we learn to look up. Because life does not originate on earth. Life originated in heaven and was brought down. And so the way the heavens and the earth are structured, we learn every day, look up. Let me give you another lesson as we continue with the fact that God owes us nothing. Genesis 2 verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Let's examine that. Chris, question number one, answer me loudly. Man was made of and? No, he wasn't made of breath. He was just made of dust. Listen to the verse. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That was one discrete action. The second action was he breathed into that thing fully formed the breath of life. Now follow me closely. As we talk about God owes us nothing, we owe him everything. And he wants us to live with that consciousness every moment of every day. In the Bible, the earth is associated with man. We don't own it, but God has arranged that we are associated with the earth. So in Psalm 115, verse 16, the Bible says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. When Adam sinned, God said in verse 19, In the sweat of thy face 
of chapter 3, shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. Then he said to a man who was alive, for dust thou art. He did not say dust and breath thou art. He just said dust thou art. And unto dust shall thou return. When Abraham told God in Genesis 18 verse 25, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. I am dust and ashes. How can I talk to God like that? He did not say, I am dust and breath. There's a point I'm trying to make. In Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Verse 14, for he knoweth our frame, he remembereth, finish it somebody, that we're dust, not dust and breath. Mm -hmm. Now, the point I'm making is this. God has arranged to associate us with the earth. Dust, dirt, not breath. So when we die, we don't go back to breath. That's not where we came from. We go back to dust. Come on, somebody say amen for the Bible. Now, when Adam came to his feet, realized he was alive, began to walk around the garden with God, and God took him on a tour. Did Adam need God to continually add dirt to him? Did he need more dirt? No. He had all the dirt he needed, and so do you, and so do I. Question for you, and this is, I'm saying it seriously. Is it possible to live without one leg? Yes. Can you live without both legs? Can you live without two legs and two arms? Yes. Can you live without legs, arms, and uh, how many kidneys do you have? One or two? Uh, uh, without a kidney? Yes. So it's not dirt we need. But while God did not have to keep adding dirt, what did Adam have to keep doing? Taking a breath. Every moment he had to. What's the spiritual lesson? Hmm? You don't need to breathe dirt. You've got all the dirt you need. Dirt's not important. Breath. And I have made you in such a way that I designed you to take a breath just about every second. Because with every breath you take, you remember the source of that life. That's God. Somebody say amen. We were built to remember that we are dependent upon God. As you breathe now, is God on your mind? Have you ever suffered severely from asthma? Hmm? Struggling for breath? You talk to any asthmatic. It's a terrible feeling to struggle for breath. Because breath is life. And that's from above. And so with every breath we take, God has designed, remember, you are indebted to me. Before Adam sinned, Adam enjoyed privileges, the privilege of life, the privilege of health, 
the privilege of a tremendous intellect, the privilege of supervision or uh, managerial responsibility for the natural world. Adam had limitless privileges, face-to-face -face communication with God without the need for a mediator. After Adam sinned, he lost all those privileges and they were only available to him through someone. Name that person, Christ. All the privileges Adam enjoyed prior to sin, he lost. And because of the mercies of God, who had a plan in place before the catastrophe of sin, Adam was able to enjoy life and to draw a breath and to see and to hear and to speak and to taste and to touch because of a mediator called Jesus Christ. What am I saying? This God who owes us nothing. He has a plan by which he can give us everything and that plan, that person is Jesus Christ. Because of sin, everything we do is tainted. We're familiar with the words of Isaiah. All our righteousness are what? Now, the verse doesn't say all our sins. It's so obvious our sins are filthy rags. Are you following me? It's too obvious. But our righteousness? Filthy rags? Yes. Because of sin, there is nothing a human being can do unaided that pleases God. Nothing. If you're accustomed to giving a million dollars to ASI, don't stop. Give two million. But understand when you give it that that does not indebt God to you by the slightest. The value of that gift to God is if, if it is offered in the name of Jesus and through his merits that that gift passing through Christ, cleanse of human contamination, might be acceptable in the sight of God. My brothers and sisters, there are some of us, I suspect, somewhere on this earth who serve God with humble arrogance. He owes me. I have paid tithe 35 years. Why did my business fail? What's wrong with God? I have kept myself pure. I've prayed 20 years like Isaac praying for Rebecca. Can't find a husband or a wife. I homeschooled my children. Gave them a vegetarian diet. Kept them from television and Facebook. And they can't find a job. What's wrong with God? He owes me. Did, not him, did, did he not see the sacrifices I made? If that's the way we serve God, we serve God with an arrogance that doubles the offensiveness of our service. I believe I've made the point sufficiently clear and disturbed you enough. We have to serve God with the awareness that God owes us 
nothing. We owe God everything. But a God who owes us nothing desires to give us everything and has placed everything at our disposal in the person of Jesus Christ. So when God gave Christ, he had nothing left. Absolutely nothing. When God devised the plan of salvation, he did not have a backup plan. You cannot have a backup plan for Jesus. Are you with me? Either this works or that's it. That's a God giving everything. And I, am, I keep saying that because I want you to receive this into the very subconscious. You know, the four people who heard the word, some fell by the wayside, some fell among rocks, some fell among thorns, some fell on good ground. I want what I'm saying to fall on good ground so that you receive it and it produces fruit to God's glory and to the inspiration of others. And so we serve a God who loves us with an everlasting love. We serve a God who has prepared for us a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, he told the Israelites, you'll eat from vineyards you did not plant. You live in houses you did not build. That's the goodness of God. Let us enjoy that goodness with the consciousness that we are absolutely undeserving in and of ourselves. Let us enjoy the blessings of God with the awareness that nothing we do makes God indebted to us. Let us enjoy the generosity of God with the awareness that will not depart, that all that we have, all our health, our wealth, our talents, everything belongs to God. And so I give you again First Chronicles 29 verse 14 as I close. Who am I? Who are you? The CEO of a big company? The GC president? Who are you? David said, who am I? And he was the king. And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. Your money in your wallet right now is God's. Your health is God's. Your children belong to God. Your house belongs to God. Your limousine belongs to God. If you have a boat, it belongs to God. You have a trailer, it belongs to God. You have a Cessna, it belongs to God. Your family belongs to God. We are caretakers of the goodness of God to use his goodness for the blessing of others. So God gives to us that we may return to him through blessing others with our heaven-inspired generosity. With respect, with politeness, God owes you nothing. God owes me nothing. We owe God everything. But the God who owes us nothing desires to give us how much? Everything. Through whom? Jesus Christ. Let that Christ reign in your heart. And where Christ dwells, 
all the treasures of heaven dwell. Let me say it again. Where Christ dwells, all the treasures of heaven dwell. Tonight, in the few seconds left, will you not recommit your life to Christ who represents all that God has in totality? I recommit my life to this Christ. Not for him to give me anything necessarily, but as my way of saying, thank you, dear God. Thank you for paying such an infinite price for the salvation of one miserable soul. Thank you. And as an expression of gratitude, I now recommit my life to Christ. And I want to use my life, my health, whatever little intelligence I have or mental capacity for the glory of God and for the blessing of others. And I want to do it day by day with the unsleeping consciousness that God owes me nothing. How many of you will say, Father, I recommit my life to Christ. Use me as an instrument of blessing to others. May I see your right hand or any hand you choose to lift. Stand up, let's pray. I accept your raised hand as a genuine expression of a recommitment of the life to your Savior and mine. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Sometimes it is so tough to take their God because it goes right across the grain of our carnal natures. We thank you, Father, that though you owe us absolutely nothing, though you are indebted to us to no degree, you desire to give us everything and you have in the person of Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we can never fully understand such love, such generosity, such open-handedness. And so, Father, we receive all you've given to us by faith. And we express our gratitude. We say thanks by recommitting our lives to Christ, who died and rose that we might be saved. In the name of this Jesus, dear God, bless every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every family. And if perchance there is any one person who has been harboring the dangerous belief that you owe him or her anything, by the restless work of your spirit, remove that cancerous way of thinking, dear God, and replace it with gratitude for your goodness. Continue to bless ASI, regional and national. Let all the ministries we heard of and those we did not hear about, let them contribute to the hastening of the coming of Christ, that one day we may all go home and live in a world where there will be no more need for the gospel, for preaching, for anything of that kind. Until that day, keep us faithful, I pray, with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, let all God's people say, Amen and Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio 
and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.